Spirit is the very person of God, and when the Spirit speaks to us, you know, we ought to speak back to God. It's like any polite conversation. Every time I sense the Spirit saying something to me, I need to pause, and I need to enter into that conversation and uh, respond to the Lord who's speaking to me. It's such a great song. And uh, this morning, I want to invite you to uh, think with me a little bit further uh, about what we began last week when we talked about the role of God's Spirit in our lives. And so we want to kind of continue on that theme this morning uh, because uh, Christianity really is a relationship. Uh, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. Um, Christianity, uh, you know, I think religion has the focus on what we do. A relationship has the focus on the other person. In any relationship that you're in, if you want it to be a good one, your focus is on the other person. And in this case, the person is the biblical God of the universe, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so when we live in a relationship, the focus is on the other person, not so much on what we do or don't do. And uh, because of the person of God's Spirit, God is a very real presence and influence in the lives of his people. And, uh, and so it's through the person of the Spirit that the Spirit takes up residence, uh, as was read from uh, Jeremiah 31, in every genuine Christian's life. You know, you cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You can't. You, you cannot be a believer. You cannot be connected to God without God's Spirit. We saw that last week from the Scriptures. And so the Bible says your body, this body that we're living, our physical body, is literally a temple of the presence of God. If you were to ask people, where do you find God today? Where can people go to find God? Well, he lives in his people. I mean, it's an awesome role when you think about it. If, you, if, if the world were to ask, you know, well, where can I find you? And God said, well, you can go to any one of my people because that's where I live. Uh, you know, I've been here many times in the sanctuary during the week. He's not here. He's in you. He's out there with all of you. And that's where God lives. And so the Bible literally says that our bodies are, are temples of his presence. Uh, now, last week we learned from Elijah back in 1 Kings chapter 19 uh, that uh, often the Spirit's voice comes to us like a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. Remember that we talked about that? And uh, even though God's Word is tremendously powerful, God Himself is gentle and humble, Jesus says, Matthew chapter 11, you remember? Uh, God is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and abounding in love is the way God describes Himself. And so even though His voice is tremendously powerful, it comes at us often, you know, like a gentle whisper. And the problem with a gentle whisper is that God waits and wants you to want to hear from him before he just comes and bowls you over. But the problem with a gentle whisper is it can be ignored. You can ignore it. You can ignore it. You can live your life, and God can be speaking to you, and you can totally ignore a gentle whisper. All you have to do is keep the noise level in your life high. Just always have the TV on, always have the radio on, always have your cell phone on, always, always, always keep yourself busy. Just keep going from one thing to the next. Whatever you do, don't ever let yourself just get alone with the Holy Spirit and allow Him to talk to you. Because then you might really hear what God has to say. 
And I just think, you know, in our culture, the, the enemy just works so hard at keeping us all so busy. We think we're all so important. We have so much to do that we simply don't have time to just get alone with God and allow God to actually speak to us. Uh, just give him an audience so that we could hear that gentle whisper. And so I think to myself, you know, um, why would somebody want to avoid the God that they claim to worship? Why would somebody not want the God who is personal that they come week by week to worship? Why would they not want to hear personally from that God? I mean, I think that's a pretty fair question. And so, you know, I began to think about that. And um, I'll tell you why. The Bible actually has an answer for it. Uh, the reason why we who are God's children and worship him don't always want to hear directly from him is simply because the desires of his spirit are contrary to the desires of our flesh. That comes right out. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, the Bible just comes straight forward and says, for the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit, to the desires of the spirit. So we have this conflict. The desires that we have for our life are in direct conflict with the desires that God has for our life. And so we're not going to really slow down, get quiet, and allow God to speak to us because it will mean that there's this dissonance that will be created in our old nature. Uh, I'm in verse 17, Galatians 5. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what's contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another so that you can't do what you want which was the essence of sin in the beginning. God said, you remember Satan comes to our original parents and said, listen, you'll be your own God. You decide what's right and wrong for yourself. Go ahead, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You decide what you want to do with your life. You'll be your own God, small g. First commandment in the Bible, right? Don't have any other small g gods before me, God says. I created you. I desire you. I made you for myself. I have a great plan for your life and so forth. Listen to me. It'll be way better than anything you can come up with. Why would people who worship God not want to hear him? Well, simply because the desires of God and his spirit are different than the desires that are so much a part of our life. Uh, here again, uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 5 says the same thing. Those who live according to their sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. Our old nature has desires. We have ideas for our life of how we want it to be, Right? And so Paul says, you know, we set our minds on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Oh, my goodness. The Spirit desires things that are very contrary to what our old spirit desires. So why would we not want to slow down and listen to God? Why would we not want to open up our Bibles and invite the Spirit to actually speak to us at a personal level? Well, it's very simple, the Bible says, because we really... Even though we want to worship God and even though we want to, you know, claim to be his kids and so on and so forth, we really don't want him to control our lives. Because we think we can do a pretty good job of that ourselves. But this passage goes on. It says, you know, the, the mind of the sinful man, the, the person who's committed to their own desires, is death. It's death. It's a dead end. It's going in the wrong direction. But the mind set, uh, controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. 
So, you know, we always have a choice. When the, every time I hear the Spirit moving in my heart, will I really pray? Will I really say, Lord, what is it? What do you want to talk to me about? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? And so on and so forth. And you can go through the Bible, and I'm not going to take the time to, you know, I got uh, a little chewed out last week because we had too much Scripture and we got a little long. But um, I'm not going to go to all these passages, but if you want, you can write them down. But here are some of the desires of the Spirit. Uh, the, 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 if you think about the desires of the flesh, first of all, what are the desires of your flesh? Well, you know, there's a catalog of them in Galatians chapter 5. But I would say to you, there's three things about your flesh that uh, maybe are representative of all your desires. Number one is, your flesh wants to be in control. You want to be in control. You want to run your own life. You want to call your own shots. The Spirit of God wants to help us understand God is in control. There is a God, and it's not you. And God wants to be in control. God made you. God owns you. God, you know, has a plan for you. And God wants to be in control. So the Spirit desires that we would surrender to the control of God. Uh, and that goes into all kinds of areas. Just think of all the different, you know, Galatians 5 will talk about all different areas of your life. God wants to be in control. A second area that I think kind of represents the desires of the flesh is the desires of the flesh uh, I, wants to be a judge. I want to decide what's right and wrong. I want to decide who's right and wrong. I want to decide what you should do. And the Bible again says, no, God is the judge. Vengeance is mine, God says, Romans. God's a judge. And a third desire of the flesh, it seems to me, comes under this kind of banner of, I want praise. I want you to like me. I want you to affirm me. I want you to think I'm something great. And God says, no, all the praise belongs to me. Anything in you that's worthwhile came from me. And I created you to direct praise to myself because I am the source of everything good. And so you have these desires of the flesh. And then you can go through the Bible and you have the desires of the Spirit. Here's a couple of them. The, first of all, the Spirit desires to prompt us to be like Jesus, John 15. That's what the Spirit desires. The Spirit wants you to become like Jesus. And when he's in your life, that's what he's working on. Another desire of the Spirit is that the Spirit wants to be your counselor. He wants to be your teacher. He wants to be your guide. In other words, he wants to, I call it, you know, your GPS, your God's personal spirit telling you, go left, go right, do this, don't do that. That's the Spirit's desire, to listen to him and let him direct your life. The Spirit has a desire um, to grow our faith and as a result of that, to grow repentance, and as a result of that, to grow obedience. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You know what? The Spirit's desire for you is to help you pray, Romans chapter 8. The Spirit desires to help us to know how to pray better. It's always on a growing edge so that our communication with God, you know, is increasingly... Uh, the Spirit of God desires to use you and me to spread the good news of the gospel. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 8, you know, wait for the power of the Spirit so that you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's what the Spirit's always desiring you. Speak a word for Christ. And, the, and we have our own desires. Now, I'm going to speak what I want to speak. And so the Spirit, and so the, the desires of the Spirit are contrary to the desires of um, our old nature. 
And, and so it seems to me that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, so often Christians are divided. They're divided over the issue of the Holy Spirit, which is very unfortunate when you think about it. And uh, I think we find evidence of this, uh, these two extremes, if you will. Uh, some Christians, it seems to me, want to live by totally ignoring the Spirit. They're just like they're going to use their mind. They're going to be rational. They're going to, you know, look at the Scriptures and figure out what it means and what it says, and they're going to decide for themselves, and that's going to be the end of it. And, uh, you know, when you talk to people like this, you know, and you say, well, you know, have you heard from the Holy Spirit lately? In Acts chapter 19, there was a whole group of people in Ephesus who were uh, disciples of Jesus, but they'd never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. You remember this? When Paul comes to um, Ephesus, and, uh, you know, I got a brand new Bible because my other one fell apart, and I mean, I really don't like it as much as the old one because it's all marked up and the pages all fall open to the right places and all that. Anyway, but in Acts chapter 19, um, Paul, you know, is uh, walking around and, and uh, he was at Corinth and then he goes over to uh, Ephesus and it says there he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? When you became a Christian, did the Spirit come into your life? You remember this? And they said, No. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I think some Christians are like that. They just maybe grew up in a Christian home, and they kind of learn the values, and they learn the system, and they learn the lingo, and they're going forward, but the Spirit of God doesn't have access to the core of their being. And uh, it's sad. And so Paul says, you know, well, who, what name were you baptized in? And so on. Well, we were baptized in the name of John, and, and so on and so forth. So I think on one extreme, you have people who say, you know, I've never heard from the Holy Spirit. I'm a believer. I'm a disciple. I go to church. I worship. I read the Bible. But you know what? The Holy Spirit has never really said anything to me personally. I've never really heard from him. If I had to catalog my history, I, I couldn't uh, uh, indicate any places where the Spirit intersected my life and changed my direction. On the other extreme, it seems to me, uh, there are actually people who are trying to use the Holy Spirit to put themselves across as somebody they're not. And I think that's an equal uh, problem. In Acts chapter 8, I think we have an example of this very thing. You might remember this uh, passage. And uh, sometimes the Spirit, I mean, to think that you would try to use God for your own agenda is a really frightening thing, right? I mean, to think that you would be so self-centered that you think you could use God to achieve your purposes and your agenda. And so uh, in Acts chapter 8, I think we have an example of that. There's this guy named Simon. You remember him? And... It says in verse 9 of Acts chapter 8, For some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city, and he amazed all the people of Samaria, and he boasted that he was somebody great. Well, he's got the makings here, right? I'm, I'm, I got it. And uh, all the people, both high and low, gave their attention to him, and they said, Wow, this man is divine. He has divine power. He's known as the great power. And so forth. Verse 17, or verse 12, I'm sorry. Uh, when, when the people believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, and Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Okay, so that's kind of the background, and then what happens is uh, the uh, apostles down in Jerusalem hear that Samaria, remember Samaria is half Jewish, half Gentile, half Jewish, 
They hear that the Samaritans, uh, verse 14, it's the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted, the Samaritans had accepted the word of God. So they sent Peter and John to them. And when Peter and John arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. Remember, we're in the book of Acts. We're in this transition uh, period between the Gospels and the establishment of the church. And this is a whole new people group, the Samaritans and so forth. And so Peter and John placed their hands on them, verse 17, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. He said, I could really use that spirit in my business. I could really wow people and then I'd really be somebody. How much? So look what he says. How much? And then he says in verse uh, 19, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the spirit. I'll really be somebody important. Peter said, may your money perish with you. Spirit-filled Peter saw right through it. He said, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry. Why? Because your heart is not right. When the Spirit of God moves into a person's life, he moves into our hearts, into our spirit. And if he doesn't change the core of our being, if he doesn't change our basic identity, our, our, the very heart of who we are, the, the spirit of our lives, he's not there. He says, you have no part or share in this minute because your heart is not right before God. Repent. Stop it. Repent. Turn around. Stop acting like this, of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, for I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. If I could just have this Holy Spirit facade over my life, I wouldn't have to deal with the bitterness and the sin and the unforgiveness that's still locked down inside of me. Because why? Because the Holy Spirit has not penetrated to that very core of our being and released us from that. And so we're trying to use them. And I say these are two extremes right here in the book of Acts. And I see Christians often divided over this issue of how the very Spirit of God uh, comes to dwell in us and live in us and so forth. This guy was trying to use the Holy Spirit to pass himself off as somebody that's better than he really is. You ever try that? You ever try to invoke God's name and try to lay some heavy language on somebody to make yourself seem more spiritual than you really are? You know what? Either extreme does damage to the reputation of God. Right? Either side of that extreme does damage to the very reputation of God. Here God is offering himself in a relationship with us made out of dirt. And there are some people who are trying to go through life saying, you know, I don't need that. Thank you very much. I don't want you to mess with, I don't want your desires to come in and create dissonance with my desires for my life. And other people are trying to use him for their own personal agenda. Either way, I want to suggest to you this morning that God has ways of bringing into our lives what I would like to call defining moments where all of a sudden we realize we're wrong. We realize what we're doing, especially in relationship to the Holy Spirit, is wrong. And we have this kind of conviction, these defining moments that help us, and God speaks to us through them. And God wants to change us, right? He wants to uh, allow the Spirit to come deeper into our lives. And we always have a choice to make in these defining moments. Um, 
I think we have to realize, you know, we don't have the power to change at that deep level. You don't have the power to change your spirit. You can change your thinking. You can change your feelings to some degree. You can change your actions on the surface. But your character and your person, your identity, that deepest part of who you really are, you don't have the power to change that. And that's why Jesus said, you wait here for the power of the Spirit to come on your life. Because there are certain things you don't have power over. So I tried to think of an example of this. And, uh, you know, again, I'm just going to use this as an example. You can think of anything in your own personal life. But let's say you have a foul mouth. Okay, let's just say that, you know, when uh, circumstances are right, man, it just rips out of your mouth. So maybe that's not your problem. Maybe anxiety is your problem. Maybe lust is your problem. Maybe anger is your problem. Maybe insecurity or greed or pick whatever issue it is. But I'm just using this as an illustration. Let's say you have a foul mouth and cursing and swearing are just like second nature to you. And then you become a Christian. And so all of a sudden, you know, you go to church and you're starting to, you know, you're told, hey, you ought to read the Bible once in a while and so forth. And so you go home one night and, you know, uh, there's nothing on TV. And so you pull out the Bible and you start to read and, and uh, you turn to um, what Jesus is saying in um, like Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, listen, you call somebody a fool and you're in danger of going to hell. And you're like, whoa, I call lots of people fools. What does he mean? And you begin to think about that. You begin to think, you know, maybe I need to clean up my language. And then you read a little bit more, and and maybe you come to uh, Matthew chapter 12, and all of a sudden you're reading these words from Jesus. He's saying, I tell you, men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that came out of your mouth. And you're like, whoa, can that be real? For by your words, you'll be acquitted, and by your words, you'll be condemned. Every careless word God pays attention to? You're thinking, I really got to clean up my act. And so you start, and you, you, know, you come to church, and you, you're, you're on guard, and you're you know, very careful and so forth. You start cleaning up your mouth, and, and uh, you're watching what you say, and so you start feeling pretty good about yourself. And then all of a sudden, something happens. One of these defining moments comes, and somebody just does something that just annoys you, and out of your mouth comes this stream of profanity again. And that night, you go home, and you sit down, and you think, maybe I haven't changed as much as I thought. Maybe, you know, uh, that's still in there. That, you know, and you begin to realize, you know, the problem is beyond your control. You can't fix it. You need help to really change. If you really want to be like Christ, and you really want to make every word that comes out of your mouth count, you need help because it's not in your control. And so uh, you begin to pray. You begin to say, you know what? This isn't about what I do. It's about who I am. Really deep down inside, I'm still an angry person because that vent of profanity proved it. Still, deep down inside, I'm still a vindictive person. I'm I'm still wanting to control. And when I can't control and this person comes and creates this defining moment, out of my mouth it is. I'm still wanting the desires of the flesh rather than the desires of the spirit. Now, maybe in defense you say to yourself, well, you know, this came at me suddenly. You know, I, I, I wasn't prepared for this. And uh, maybe you say, you know, uh, I was just caught off guard. And that might be true. 
But the situation simply revealed what's still inside of you, regardless of how it comes about. Regardless of how that defining moment happens, it reveals what's inside of you, who you really are. And uh, when we have time and we try to be in control, you know, we can kind of almost create a false self. And we all come to church, we put on our best behavior, you know, and we all want people to think, you know, wow, I'm really a good person. And then by Monday night, it's all gone, you know, and we say, where did that go? It's not the situation, you know, we say, oh, well, it's the people at work or, you know, no, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think it's what's really still inside of us. And God's giving us a defining moment to help us realize that uh, he hasn't penetrated deep enough. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Once the Spirit really gets down in there, you, he will change the self that you are, and it won't be so hard. Sometimes you talk to people, you say, hey, how are you? And they say, I'm tired. And, uh, you know, you see them uh, six months later, how, how are you? I'm tired. They're always tired. I'm like, why are you so tired? And you know what? I sort of thought that sometimes you get really tired as a Christian if you're trying to live two lives. If you're not just able to be who you are because the Spirit is changing you into a more Christ-like person so that you can just be who you are. But you're always trying to be this person that you're really not, to look better than you really are. And it's tiring. I mean, it's hard enough to be one person without trying to be two, right? <laughs> so I think about, see, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said this. He said, you know what? If you have rats in your basement, okay? See, I think it was C.S. If you have rats in your basement, you'll discover it when you come on them by surprise. Isn't that right? If you make a lot of noise and kind of announce that you're coming, well, it gives them time to hide. And then you don't really know that the rats are still in your basement. And uh, you discover them when you come on them by surprise, when you come on them suddenly. And coming on them suddenly doesn't create the rats. They're there. It just exposes them. And it lets you know that they're there. Um, it just keeps them from hiding. So if you vent some string of profanity that reveals an angry heart because you're provoked by some incident or some person, it only shows that you still have an angry heart. And the suddenness of it just is an opportunity to realize there's still a rat in your basement. The rats of sin are still in the basement. We're still vindictive, resentful, unforgiving, impatient, hurting, whatever it might be. We're still trying to be God and be in control. We're still trying to judge somebody else that they should be different and not treating us like this. We're still trying to impress somebody to be more impressed with us than we deserve. But here's the deal. The basement is what's out of your control. The basement is where the spirit comes into our life at the very foundation of who we are and creates a new identity. You can't fix it at that level. Only God can change us at that level. I can't change my heart. Even when I'm good and I think I'm doing good, my motives sometimes are not pure. They're mixed. You ever try to change a motive? You ever try to do something purely, you know, for God? You can't change your motives. That's got to be a work of the Spirit. That's why God says it's the Spirit, my Spirit, you know. What's in my Spirit is what comes out. I, I, I always think of it like toothpaste. Every time I brush my teeth, squeeze the toothpaste. Whatever's inside, when you're squeezed, whatever's inside is going to come out. And it's when you're squeezed that you find out, really, what's inside. So the change that I need is a change in my heart or in my spirit. Mark chapter 7, Jesus said, all the issues of your life come out of your heart. It's a great passage. Mark chapter 7. All the issues of your life come out of the core of who you really are.
And so I need the Holy Spirit to overpower my spirit. I need the Spirit to replace my desires with His desires, and I need to surrender to it. That needs to be who I become and who I am. I need the Spirit of God to overcome and overpower the hurts that are stored away in my spirit that are still controlling my behavior on the surface, from the past. I need the Holy Spirit to overpower the confusion and replace it with truth as my teacher. I need the Holy Spirit to overpower my fear and my anxiety and my insecurity. And that's why the Bible says what you need is to be filled with the Spirit of God. And that's a continuous, you know, because your life keeps changing. And God offers us that opportunity to be filled with his Spirit. And that's the work of the Spirit. It's not that I have to try harder. It's that I have to surrender more. It's not about trying harder on the surface to be somebody I'm not. It's about surrendering myself to give the Spirit the opportunity to make me the person that God originally created me to be before sin confused everything. And for that, I have to listen to the gentle whisper. I have to allow the very Spirit of God to prompt me to be more forgiving. I have to allow the very Spirit of God to change my thoughts with new truth from His Word. I have to allow the very Spirit of God to come and fill me with his grace and his truth. And so I love this portion of the Bible that we're studying, the book of Acts. And uh, because Acts clearly shows the change that the Spirit brought about in the disciples' lives. Have you ever thought about the difference of the disciples in, you know, uh, the Gospels and the disciples in the book of Acts? It's like they're two different people. What happened to them? And the book of Acts, I think, clearly demonstrates uh, what happens when the Spirit of God grabs a hold of us. The book of Acts is the only New Testament book that's historical. It's the book of Acts. It's, it's the Acts of the Apostles. It's what they did because of the change that was wrought in their hearts. It's what they became once the Spirit of God grabbed hold of their hearts. It's a transition from, you know, the Gospels into the church age. I don't, I, I, the theology of the Holy Spirit is much better teased out from the epistles and the further writings in the New Testament. If you base your entire theology on the book of Acts, the theology of the Holy Spirit, I think you'll be misled because the Bible goes on to refine and explain much more in Paul's epistles and, and so on. But if we look at the disciples and we say, what's the difference that the Spirit, why do I need the Spirit in my life? You know, these guys in the Gospels, they were often confused. They were troubled, they were competitive, they were lacking faith, they misunderstood Jesus' words. And then in the book of Acts, these same exact people, their weaknesses become supernatural abilities. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, uh, like if you take like Peter, you know, he's like denying he even knows the Lord. Next thing you know, he's preaching this great sermon and 3,000 people come to Christ. How'd that happen? How did that change come about? Uh, you might remember... Uh, John chapter 20, uh, you might remember that even after Jesus was resurrected, which was like the ultimate miracle, I mean, wouldn't you think if you were palling around with Jesus for three years, and, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's crucified, but then he comes back to life. Wouldn't you think, like, oh, this is my moment. This is really cool, but that's not what we find happen. In John chapter uh, 20 and verse 19 on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. 
here's these guys. It's his guys that he'd been with for three years. He told them what was going to happen. They had the Old Testament scripture that Isaiah 53 was theirs, you know, and uh, they knew what was, you know, or they could have known and so forth. And here they are hunkered down behind locked doors for fear. They're hiding in fear. And I think, you know, how many Christians are like that, living in fear? In verse 25, we have uh, Thomas. You remember Thomas? He, he's like, you know what? I'm not going to believe. You, the other guys are like, hey, we saw the Lord. And, you know, and Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe it unless I can touch him myself. Right? Remember that? In verse 24, Thomas, one of the 12, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples came and told him, hey, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails are and put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. And so the Lord comes to him, remember? And I think that's the role of the Spirit today for us, that God will come to us and he will minister to us and he will speak to us and he will make the reality of Christ and his presence very real. But even before this, remember when Jesus was arrested? If you go to uh, Mark's gospel, when Jesus was arrested, uh, you know, we have Peter, and Peter's like, oh, man, even though the others deny you, I'll never deny you, and, and all of that. And in Mark chapter 14, uh, Jesus uh, made a prophecy in verse uh, 27, I think it is. Uh, no, that's not it. Mark 14. Oh, man. See? New Bible. I'm sorry. Mark chapter 14, Jesus says, you know what? All of you are going to desert me. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm on my way to the cross. You're all going to desert me. Verse 27, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Verse 50, then everyone deserted him and fled. Three years with Jesus as your friend. And he's arrested. And all of them desert him. You know? And Peter, you know, th three times, you know, I'll never deny you. And three times, and he, even there was one, just a little girl said, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter's like, no, not me, kind of thing. And then even before this, remember, they're praying in Gethsemane, and Jesus says, come on, pray with me. And remember, they fall asleep. Jesus is praying, and drops of sweat like blood are pouring out of him, and these guys are falling asleep. But then we get to the book of Acts, and what happens? Their fears turn into confidence. They go from hiding behind closed doors out into the streets of Jerusalem and they're talking to anything that moves, like to total strangers. And they're sharing with everybody exactly what happened to their Lord. And they're running up and down the streets of Jerusalem talking to people. And uh, they go from being intimidated to being like invincible and they stand up to their accusers. They handle the insults that come their way. They push through the threats that are made against them. Uh, if you turn in uh, Acts, Acts chapter 5, as uh, you know, think about this. The Spirit of God made a huge difference in their lives. They began to listen to the Spirit of God, and there was a radical difference that changed their spirit on the inside. It set them free to be who God originally created them to be. In Acts chapter 5, in verse um, uh, 29, Peter, right? Peter, who denies even knowing Jesus to a little slave girl. Peter, verse 29, and the, and the other apostles replied, hey, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness to the sins of Israel. 
And we're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And so, Peter, where did that come from? What's this? A month later? 50 days later? The other side of Pentecost? I, I know where it came from. I think Peter took in a seminar. He went to a seminar, and it just changed him. <laughs> Haven't you been to seminars? It just changed your whole life? Nah. You know what happened to Peter? I know what happened to Peter. Peter got the power of positive thinking. That's what changed Peter. He just said, I'm going to be a positive thinker, and it totally changed. My friends, the Spirit of God got into Peter's spirit and changed who he is. You can't do this yourself. This is something you can't try harder. This is something you have to surrender more in order to experience. And, uh, you know, look at verse uh, 41 and 42. It says the apostles, you know, they got called on the carpet. They went to the Jewish Sanhedrin, kind of the Jewish court. And listen to this. The apostles now, the same guys who were hiding behind closed doors, the same guys who couldn't stay awake when Jesus was praying, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Let me ask you, when's the last time you felt good and rejoiced and went home and said, this felt so good because... I suffered disgrace because I stuck up for Jesus today. That I would be considered worthy to be a carrier of his name and his cause, and I was disgraced for it, just like Jesus. And it makes me rejoice on the inside. I know I'm on the right team when that happens. What does that to a person? What changes that whole perspective? Uh, verse 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, the apostles never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. How'd that happen? It's because the Spirit came on their life in a very powerful way. And so, you know, if you think about it, uh, Peter, he was impulsive. He was easily offended. He was prejudiced. Remember? He's temperamental. But after the Holy Spirit comes upon his life, very next chapter in Acts chapter, same chapter, Acts chapter 2, he preaches this great sermon and he accuses all those Jews of murdering Jesus, the Messiah. And all the people are, are touched at the heart. And you know what they say? They, that every pastor's dream is to, people at the end of the sermon said to Peter, what should we do? What should we do? Peter says, repent. Stop it. Change. Turn around. Do a 180. And 3,000 people came to Christ that day. And they did what he said. What shall we do? In Acts chapter 10, think, and again, still about Peter, in Acts chapter 10, the Lord comes to Peter and, and asks him to do something really, really hard. You remember this? Peter's a Jew from the inside out. He's, you know, grown up in Judaism. He's, you know, uh, just a very traditional, faithful Jewish guy. And God comes to him and, and remember, lowers down the sheet with all the dirty animals that, in Peter, and he asks Peter to eat those animals. Remember? And it's like, Peter, he just couldn't do it. In fact, the Lord comes to him three times, just like the, Peter. He's like us, you know, three times it takes for Peter to get it. And finally, he just, you know, does it. And uh, his whole faith is challenged. It's the opposite of everything he believed for his whole life. But he's obedient, finally. And when he does, in, in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34, you know what he finally says? This is huge for Peter. He says, God doesn't, God doesn't show favors. God doesn't show favoritism. God doesn't, you know exalt the Jewish people above the Gentile people anymore. That's huge for Peter, because we're the chosen people. 
the Jewish people. And finally, Peter comes to this point. Why? Because the Spirit of God challenged his whole upbringing, his whole understanding of God, his whole understanding of the Scriptures. Everything was different because Jesus came. It's hard for Peter. Spirit of God ever challenge you? That just upsets your whole understanding about how things are? Because it's just the way you always thought? And can you embrace, you know, the Spirit of God leading you to embrace a new, you know, posture? And I don't have time, but, you know, we could get into the Apostle Paul's life. Paul starts by being, doing the best to murder Christians, and he ends up writing half the New Testament. And we'll read that in the second half of the book of Acts. Okay. Now, what about us? Let me just bring us to a conclusion here. What about us? Because the same spirit that indwelt the first century Christians is the spirit who indwells 21st century Christians. Wouldn't you say? God is the same yesterday, today, forever. He doesn't change. The same spirit that brought this transformation about the disciples' life is the spirit who's at work in us. And I would hate to have us go through life, you know, uh, on either of those extremes, either trying to ignore the Spirit because he has different desires than we have, or trying to use the Spirit to achieve our own agenda, but to allow the Spirit of God to have his way and to transform us into those people that when we die and we stand before the Lord, he's going to say, well done! You listen to me along the way. You let me direct you. You let me change you. You let me teach you. You let me expand you. Well done. You know. And uh, really, in a sense, uh, the acts of the apostles are still going on today. We're still, I think, we always act out of what we really believe. I think what we do is a reflection of what's really inside of us. Right? I mean, and so if we allow the Spirit to change us at the core of our being, you know, uh, Romans... Uh, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by renewal, by allowing the very Spirit of God to change us and uh, to keep conforming us and to allow His desires uh, to take over in our life. Let me just close with this uh, passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 3 and verse 15. Paul talks about, uh, you know, how this happens. He says, you know, even to this day, when the Scriptures are read... A veil covers people's hearts. Remember this passage? The Jewish people, when the scriptures are read, he's talking specifically about the Jewish people, but we can expand. There's a veil that people don't get it. They don't understand it. Why? Because the spirit has to be the teacher, has to make the connection. There's a veil, he says in verse 15, uh, that covers people's hearts. But whenever anybody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil that covers people's hearts when you turn to Christ is taken away, is what Paul says. Here's how this works. He says in verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord and the Spirit are the same. Remember how Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away because I'm going to send my Spirit and will take up residence in your life. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, I love this, there is what? Freedom. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not. You're allowing the Lord to make you into who you're becoming. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, wherever the Spirit is taking control, there's freedom to be the person you really are. That's how that transformation takes place. There's freedom. And he says, this is the result. And we, who with unveiled faces, we all reflect the Lord's glory. When this thing is going right and the Spirit is having his way, you and I, 
are increasingly reflecting the very presence of Jesus in our life, the Lord's glory. Now, you could say, well, that's a pretty awesome responsibility. Yeah, it is. But it's also a great privilege. Imagine if you could move about in this world and you would be kind of like the moon reflecting the sun's glory. And you are living in the light of, of the very presence of God, reflecting it to the people around you. But he lives within you. He says, as we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his likeness. How can you tell if you're really a believer? Well, your life will be changing to be more like Christ. If God is having your, his way with your life, you will become increasingly like Christ with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I'm sure that all of you know somebody who's older. Maybe they've uh, you know, passed on to heaven, but you say, you know, the Spirit of God lived in that person. And I'd like to be like that person because as they progressed through life, they were filled increasingly at the deepest level and their lives were changed, transformed into the likeness of Christ. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, this is such an awesome, you know, reality for us that you, the God of the universe, would come and indwell the likes of us and that you would actually take up residence and that you would tell us that these bodies that we have, these temporary bodies, are actually temples and uh, the place that you live, that you manifest yourself through us, that you want to bring your glory into the world off the faces of each of us. And that you plant your spirit inside of us in order that we might be increasingly transformed so that, Father, the very likeness of Christ will be the core of our identity, will be who we really are. And out of that, Father, you will bring glory to yourself. And so, Father, once again, I pray, teach us to listen to your spirit. Teach us, Father, to uh, dial down the noise in our life and to uh, dial down the busyness of our life and to get alone and to invite you to speak to us. And when you do, and when we hear your voice, may we stop and pray and carry on that conversation that you want to have with us at the very deepest level of our being. And in that process, may we submit and surrender to you so that you can have your way with us. Because, Father, we do trust you more than we trust ourselves because of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.